You're listening to the Goodbye July podcast, episode number eight. Since leaving my nine to five a little over a year ago and not having a formal job, many people have been asking me lately where our money comes from. I mean, we still have a mortgage to pay and in Austin, Texas, that is no small bill. And if you know me, you know I'm going to say our money comes from our investments. But I thought today it would be great to dig a bit deeper into what exactly that means for us and how Corey and I were both able to quote unquote retire by age 30. Today we'll cover all your favorite retirement acronyms like 401k, IRA, Roth, and rollovers, plus the single biggest mistake I see people making with these. We'll talk about my story and how I retired from my corporate career in 10 years. And we'll talk about a different way to think about money that just might change everything for you. Hey, my name is Jessica Tolar, and I'm obsessed with all things passive income, productivity, entrepreneurship, and building a life where you make the rules. I'm a normal girl who took a free money class, asked a corporate executive how she retired early, and used that knowledge to build a seven-figure net worth, quit my nine-to-five, and now run an online business from countries around the world. I teach you the simple but effective secrets to building a life you adore. Think I'm special? No way. If I did it, so can you. Money, mindset, life hacks, hardship, growth, and planning are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as a weekly coffee date with a close girlfriend where you talk about the finance and business knowledge it'll take to make your dreams a reality. So take a seat, get comfortable, and prepare to be challenged and cheered on while you learn. This is the Goodbye July podcast. This episode of the Goodbye July podcast is sponsored by PureGrade Supplements. PureGrade is the all-natural supplement line that I use to get clear-minded, stay energized, feel great, and make every day as effective and efficient as possible. PureGrade is offering 10% off exclusively for Goodbye July listeners. Just go to puregradesupplements.com and use the code GOODBYEJULY at checkout to get started and get your mind and body back today. Just real quick before we get started, I have something for you that you are going to love. It's a free resource on budgeting, and I know, I know, budgeting may not feel like the most exciting topic, but it is the number one way to start on your path to mastering your money. There's no getting around it. It's just one of those things you have to do in order to move forward. But I've created a template that makes it much less painful. And once you fill it out once, the hardest part's over. Next month, you'll only have to fill in a few of the blanks rather than create it from scratch. Seriously, don't put it off. It is not as bad as you think. And honestly, the longer you wait, the harder it'll be later. So go get your free template today at jessicatoller.com slash what's my budget. Again, that's jessicatoller.com slash what's my budget. Okay, let's get back to today's episode. When researching for this episode, I looked up the definition of retirement, and as you can imagine, it varies. But if I had to pick one, I'd choose Merriam-Webster's, which is withdrawal from one's position or occupation or from active working life. A few of the other definitions made me laugh out loud. This one in particular that says retirement is the act of leaving your job and stopping working, usually because you're old. (laughs) If I had the little womp womp fancy audio noise thingy, I feel like now would be the perfect time to use that. And although it makes me smile, I do think it's important to point out that this definition raises a common misperception about retirement, 
which is that you have to be a certain age to do it. In the U.S., that might stem from the fact that you can't access your 401k retirement funds without penalty until you're nearly 60 years old, but we'll get to 401k and other retirement accounts in just a little bit. The point is, you can retire whenever you want, regardless of age and regardless of semantics. It really just means you've reached the point where you can stop trading your time for money because now you can live off your savings and your investments. Furthermore, your retirement funds can come from places beyond just your 401k and your IRA, and in my opinion, I think they should. As with the investments themselves, I personally believe in diversifying where you hold those investments. So we'll get to all of that, but for now, let's jump into the details, starting off with answering all your 401k and IRA questions. So if you're from the U.S., it's likely that one of your main associations with retirement is a 401k and or an IRA. And maybe you've also heard the word Roth before as well. Honestly, this is one of those financial holes that's easy to go down quickly. So for today's purposes, I'm going to keep things kind of at the overview level. So at the highest level, a 401k and an IRA are both retirement investment accounts. To help you remember this, IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account. The 401k name is less fun because it comes from an IRS code, but the way I like to think about both of these accounts is that this is money I can't really touch until I'm about 60 years old because if I do, I'll face a huge fine. In other words, if it's an emergency and you absolutely need to pull money from your 401k or your IRA, you can do that, but it'll cost you big time. And the reason why is because these plans are set up to incentivize you to put money in them and leave it alone so it can grow until you're about 60 years old when most people retire. The main difference between a 401k and an IRA is that a 401k is an employer-sponsored retirement plan. So the only way to get a 401k is to get it through an employer, whereas anyone can go set up an IRA. If you work for an employer, it's important to know if they've got a 401k and more specifically, if they offer a contribution match. This is a benefit that many companies offer their employees, where if you put up to a certain percentage of your paycheck into your 401k, your employer will match that by putting in the same amount dollar for dollar. When I was working for corporate, that percentage was typically around 4 to 4.5%, but obviously it can vary. So let's look at an example. And for easy math, let's just say your paycheck is $1,000 and your employer offers a 4% match. That means if you contribute 4% of your $1,000 paycheck every month, that comes out to $40 of your paycheck that you are putting into your 401k your employer would also put in $40 of their own money into your 401k. So you would have $80 every paycheck going to your 401k. But if you decide you're only going to put in $30 of your paycheck, that means your employer would also only put in $30. That means you're missing out on $10 a paycheck for free from your employer every time you're paid. And while that may not seem like much, in this example, if you were only getting paid once a month, missing out on that $10 from your employer would result in a loss of about $25,000 in retirement. And that's assuming a slightly below average market performance. 
It's likely that you're probably getting paid more than $1,000 a month, and it's also likely that the market will perform at least on average, so this number would probably go up. My point is, if your employer offers a 401k match, it's worth it to make sure you're contributing at least as much as their match. With an IRA, anyone can set this up because it's not employer-sponsored. So if you work for an employer that does not offer a 401k, it might be a good idea for you to go check out and or set up an IRA. You can even set this up in addition to your 401k if you have a 401k, but the, really the only reason you would need to do that is if you were reaching the maximum contribution limit in your 401k and you wanted to contribute even more into retirement accounts. In that case, you could put additional money into your IRA. But let's be honest, I don't think many of us are going to have an issue maxing out our 401k contributions because I believe the current max the current maximum contribution amount for a 401k in 2022 is like $20,500. And if you're over the age of 50, you can put an additional $6,500 in there. So yeah, it's good to know that if you want to contribute more than that amount into your 401k, which you're, you're not allowed to, you can go open an IRA and continue contribute additional money there. But just know that to keep you on your toes, this max limit changes every year. So if you're listening to this in 2023 or later, just make sure you're checking on your maximum contribution limits. So in, in my opinion, generally, you should only really consider an IRA if your employer does not offer a 401k, unless you're just like making bank and you're maxing out your 401k or you're really good at picking stocks and you're looking for options outside of your 401k options, in which case that's amazing, but I'm not sure my podcast is going to be helpful for you because you probably already know more than I do. So again, for my listeners, you probably really only need to consider an IRA if your employer does not offer a 401k or if you're self-employed or in some other situation where you don't have access to a 401k and you need a place to put some money away that you really can't touch for a while. If you have fantastic self-control, then you might not even need a, an IRA at all. You can invest in other assets that you can access much sooner than age 60, but if you know yourself and you want to at least put a little bit of money into an account that you pretty much can't get to until later in life and you don't have access to that 401k, then definitely go explore an IRA. For me, all of my full-time employers have offered 401k plans with a match, so I just took advantage of that and never really saw the need for an IRA. However, I'm currently in the process of opening my first IRA because one of the investment companies that I have one of my 401ks at is discontinuing their 401k program. So I need to find a new home for that money, and since I don't work for an employer who offers a 401k anymore, I'll need to open an IRA in which to place that 401k money so I don't get hit with the, t the big tax penalty that I've been talking about. In other words, if I did nothing before the investment company shut down their 401k program, they'd essentially pull out my money, they'd send me a check in the mail for all of that money, and if I didn't put it into some other type of like 401k or IRA type program pretty quickly, I would get hit with a really big tax penalty, which is why I will be putting that money into an IRA. This brings me to my next point, which is rollovers. This is essentially what I'm in the middle of right now, a rollover. Usually the only time you'll need to consider a rollover is when you're switching employers and the main function is just to keep everything in one place so it's more organized. So instead of having one 401k with your former employer and one 401k with your new employer, you can ask for a rollover 
which means the money from your former 401k will quote unquote roll over. It will be moved into your new 401k at your new employer's provider. You know me, I love organization. So I love the idea of doing this to keep things organized. But unfortunately, as with a lot of finance things, it's not always that simple. It's good to think about what's important to you to see if you're better off rolling things over or keeping things separate. Again, organization is my middle name. So I'd love to have all of my 401k retirement accounts together in one place. But for example, one of the benefits I received at Cisco, which is one of my previous employers, was that Cisco worked out a really great deal with a company called Financial Engines, who manages my investments for me within my 401k. In other words, they pick the actual stocks that my money is invested into inside of my 401k because I'd rather a trained professional do it for me for a very small fee. So as I'm going through my current rollover process, I looked into rolling over that old Cisco 401k and consolidating all of my retirement accounts so things are just easier and more organized and everything is in one spot. But the rate at which financial engines is still managing my money because I was a, formal, a former Cisco employee is literally seven times cheaper than anything else I can find. So Therefore, I will be leaving that 401k where it is. So again, you know me, I love organization. I want everything in one spot. It's way easier that way. But seven times cheaper to keep things separate. I mean, there's, there's no argument for me. I'm going to leave them separate. An easy way to think about all of this is, you know, it's, it's kind of like having multiple bank accounts. At the end of the day, it's a lot easier just to have your money in one bank account. However, if you're getting certain perks by having your money kind of spread across two different bank accounts, then it might be worth the extra hassle of keeping up with both. Now, real quick, before I get into the most important point of all about retirement accounts, which I really, really, really want you to hear, real quick before that, let's discuss Roth. So before getting to Roth, you thought you just had to choose between a 401k and an IRA, or possibly a combination of both, but not, not usually but there are actually two types of each of those accounts. <laughs> so you can choose between a traditional 401k or a Roth 401k, and you can choose between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. The easiest way to think about this in the case of both 401ks and IRAs is the traditional option means you pay taxes later. So when you take money out of your retirement accounts later around age 60, that's when you'll pay taxes. The Roth option, on the other, other hand, just means that you'll pay taxes now. So when you put money into those retirement accounts, you're going to go ahead and pay those taxes. I know it's really tempting to just pick traditional and pay taxes later. That's what a lot of people do. But I think this deserves just a little more thought. Specifically, if you pay taxes now, will you spend less on those taxes than if you pay taxes later? Look, this might be different for you than it is for me, than it is for the next person, and no one has a crystal ball, but I can tell you the reason why I currently only invest in Roth. It comes down to two things, one of which is in my control and one of which is not. Number one, my income level, which I believe is mostly within my control, and number two, tax brackets, which are not at all in my control. <laughs> so when it comes to our income, 
It is my true belief and intention to continue growing our wealth more and more each year through investing in income generating assets, which means later in life, we'll be in a higher tax bracket. Therefore, I believe it is smart for us to go ahead and pay taxes now at a lower rate. When it comes to the tax brackets, this is out of our control, but if you look at historical data, that can at least offer a little bit of insight. Based on one article I read today, the average total top income tax rate from 1913 through 2022 is about 53%. Again, I watch the highest income tax bracket because that's where we aspire to be when we're taking money out of our retirement accounts. So today in 2022, the highest tax rate is 37%, which is 16% lower than that average. So this feels like another reason to go ahead and pay those taxes now. So you might be thinking, but what if you put that money in the stock market instead of using it to pay taxes? And if you're thinking that, I really like where your head's at because I thought the same thing. But the reason why is because historically the stock market returns an average of 10%. And that 10% is lower than the 16% I just mentioned. So again, this isn't a perfect science and no one can tell the future, but with the information I have, This is how I made my decision, and I hope it helps you better understand Roth versus traditional 401ks and IRAs, and I hope it helps you make your decision on where the smartest place is to put your money. Okay, if you're multitasking, come back to me now because I promised I'd be sharing the most important thing of all with you regarding retirement accounts like 401ks and IRAs. Are you ready? Here it is. The most important thing is to actually make sure the money you're putting into your 401k and or your IRA is actually invested and not just sitting in a brokerage account somewhere. Let me say that again. It is critical that you make sure the money you are putting in your 401k or your IRA is actually invested and not just sitting in a brokerage account. And let me explain what this means. Investing in your retirement accounts or in the stock market in general is in its most basic form, a two-step process. The first step is to put money into your brokerage account, which is basically like a bank account, but unlike your banks, brokerage accounts give you access to the stock market and other investments. And the second step is to move your money from your brokerage account into the investments, or in other words, to actually buy the stocks. This is the biggest mistake I unfortunately see people make all the time. And it's critical because if you're not actually invested, you could potentially lose out on hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of your life, depending on how much you've got sitting in your brokerage account, how long it's been sitting there doing nothing and where that money could have theoretically been invested. Think about it this way. This is one of my favorite analogies. Think of your retirement account as Disney World. If you're at Disney World, you're probably there to ride some rides. In order to get to those rides, you need to enter one of the theme parks, get in line, and eventually you'll have made it onto the ride and you'll be cruising around with the wind in your hair. The theme parks are like the brokerage accounts and the rides are like the investments. In the same way that you can't actually get to a ride without first entering the theme park, You can't actually buy investments through your retirement account without first putting your money into a brokerage account. Sure, you could show up to Disney World and go to one of the theme parks and just hang out at a picnic table. And if your money isn't invested, that's pretty much what you're doing. 
But if you're looking for the full experience and you want to see your money grow through the power of investing in your retirement accounts, you need to make sure your money is on the actual ride. So today, after this episode, I want you to go look in your brokerage account and make sure your money isn't just sitting there. Make sure it's actually invested. And if you need help, ask your HR department or call your 401k or IRA provider directly. All right. Now that we're through that part, we can move on to more fun topics like how exactly to retire early. Now, you may have heard this story before, but I'd like to quickly recap the moment I realized retiring early was available to me or anyone and the valuable advice I received that helped me pull it off in 10 years. In 2013, I was working my first job out of college where I was navigating what were, for me at the time, the choppy waters of personal finance. I was investing as much as humanly possible into my 401k, which for the record, I don't recommend if you're trying to retire early because you can't get to that money until you're almost 60 years old. But I thought I was doing the right thing because everyone says that's what you're supposed to do. And furthermore, because all my extra income beyond just my living expenses was going into my 401k, my bank account was never super high. So I'd recently just finished dealing with an unexpected car repair that nearly sent my bank account to zero and ultimately resulted in me breaking down into tears in one of my manager's offices. That's definitely not the definition of stress refinance, right? Well, it was around that time that I received an email that said, please join us to celebrate Melanie's early retirement. Wait a minute, I said to myself, I thought you had to be 65 to retire. I was confused, so I attended her early retirement party. I sulked around and picked up the fruit tray and suspiciously side-eyed the cake that read, congratulations, Melanie. And I was generally more antisocial than normal, lost in my thoughts and just how in the heck she was doing it. I thought you couldn't even access your 401k until you were 60. Where's she gonna get the money? Doesn't she have bills to pay? I had a lot of questions, so I set up time with her to get answers. I walked into her office, made some pleasantries, then point blank asked her, how are you retiring early? And here's what I learned. I'm going to start with the most powerful piece of advice Melanie gave me because it has to do with mindset and your mindset drives everything else. If you can get your mind right, you can clear out the largest roadblock of all and everything from there on out will be much easier. So the first thing Melanie told me is this. If you want to retire early, or in other words, if you want financial freedom, then you need to be okay with the fact that right now, your life will not look as nice as everyone else's. She said, when you compare yourself to your friends, you won't have the newest car, you won't live in the high rise at the city center, and you won't be taking fancy vacations. But eventually you'll be able to afford those things if you want them with one important difference you will be financially free while your friends will still be working. This was hard to hear. Like the self-comparison game was alive and well, even in 2013. And one person in particular came to mind. You know the one. The girl with the cutest clothes and the prettiest home decor and the fancy car who lives in the best location and goes on the swankiest trips. But then I started to wonder about this girl's finances. Does she have any savings? Is she in debt from all those nice things? Does she enjoy her job, her life? It's hard to know how someone else feels just by looking at their life. All I knew is that I felt stressed about money and I did not want to feel that way anymore. 
So if that meant driving an older car, wearing older clothes, and living in a place that didn't look as nice as everyone else's and maybe took a little longer to get to, I could figure out how to make that work. The next thing Melanie said is, own as few cars as possible in your life. Drive each car until it fails. I should mention at the time, leasing cars wasn't really a thing yet. So when she said own as few cars as possible, she didn't mean lease a car. She meant buy a car and don't buy another one until the car you have fails in such a bad way that it would be cheaper for you to buy a different car than to fix your current one. And if you can avoid a car payment, that's even better because oftentimes the interest rates can be quite high. So if possible, buy a car that you can pay for in full, drive it until failure before buying another one, and always buy used. If memory serves, I believe Melanie only had three cars in her life at the time of this conversation. The next thing Melanie did was give me three book recommendations, which were Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin, and The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley and William Dinko. And without a shadow of a doubt, reading these books dramatically changed my life because they allowed me to dig deeper into these subjects with the authors. And that really helped me learn the basics of things like how to buy assets and not liabilities, how the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, how most of America's wealthy don't look or act like what we would expect, how wealth is not how much you make, but how much you keep, and how to stop thinking of things in terms of you know, this shirt costs $65 and start thinking in terms of this shirt costs two hours of my life. After implementing the teachings of these books, that's when I really started to see things begin to change for me in my personal finance journey. The fourth thing that Melanie told me was to invest in real estate. One of the investment strategies that worked really well for her was investing in real estate with a group. And Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, is also really big on real estate investing. Melanie told me she was part of a group that would go in together to invest in big property projects like apartment complexes. So instead of one person having to fund the entire project alone, you can join a group of people who each provide smaller chunks of money to invest in the project together. Whatever percentage of money you put into the pool, that's the percentage you'll get back on the return when the property is sold or rented out. This is a nice option if you want to invest in real estate, but don't have enough to invest in a large real estate project on your own. Different groups work in different ways, and the formal groups Corey and I have explored do require a hefty minimum, but there are other ways to use this option. For example, you could talk to friends and family about going in on the purchase of a house and then use that house as an Airbnb or a long-term rental. Same as in the formal group investments, when you collect rent or Airbnb earnings or profits from the sale of the property, you would then just divide it up based on the percentage each person put into the purchase of the house in the first place. Investing in real estate can be scary, but if you're willing to work out the details and be patient, it's often well worth it. And it certainly has been for us. And the last piece of advice Melanie gave me was to vacation close to home. Now, I'm a big fan of international travel, so this was another one that was hard to stomach, but thankfully, she was not there to tell me what I wanted to hear. She was there to tell me how she was retiring early, and this was part of her strategy. Reminiscent of the first thing she said, she told me, vacations don't have to be to a faraway place or look super fancy. Find cool spots within a day's drive of your house to explore. 
You'll save loads of money on flights, rental cars, and Ubers. If you're into camping, you can do that for almost free. Or if you're willing to travel with a group, you can often save at least on the accommodations that way too. It was tough, but she made a good point. And for the next five years, the only international travel I did was paid for by work. I'll admit to using airline points for a couple domestic flights for big events like meeting my then boyfriend's family and attending a bachelorette party. But the majority of like the vacations I had during that period were to places I could drive to, like New Orleans, which was a group trip where we carpooled and split accommodations, or to the Texas Gulf Coast, which we can camp for free. So try it out. Do a quick online search of places within a six-hour drive of your city and look up cool things to do there. I bet you'll be pleasantly surprised. After receiving all of this advice from Melanie, I immediately reduced my 401k contribution amount to the lowest I could without leaving anything on the table. So I reduced it from 14% down to 4% so I could take full advantage of my employer match. And then I saved that 10% difference until I had six months worth of living expenses saved up in an emergency fund. So I would never have the stress I felt when dealing with that unexpected car repair ever again. And while I saved, I looked for smart places to invest my money once my emergency fund goal was reached. I wrote a blog post called How I Quit Trading Time for Money, where you can see my specific 10-year timeline and the key decisions I made to make sure my money grew as much and as quickly as possible. And I'll link to it in the show notes for you if you want the details. So you can grab that at jessicatoller.com slash 008. But the summary of the big five things I did is this. Number one. I reduced my 401k contribution to the lowest amount I could while still receiving the full employer match. And I put all the extra money toward an emergency fund of six six months worth of living expenses. So I had mentioned that before, but I think that's worth saying again, because having an emergency fund for me is what makes all of my investing feel essentially risk-free because I know I have that money to fall back on in case anything goes wrong. Number two, After reaching my emergency fund goal, if I had any debt with an interest rate of higher than 10%, my next step would have been to pay that off as quickly as possible, but the only debt I had were student loans and the interest rate was lower than 10% on those. So I made the required payments on my student loans, but no more than that because I knew I could probably make at least 10% if I were to put that extra money in the stock market, which is exactly what I did. So number three, I put all the extra money, including any bonuses and raises into investments in the stock market through a fiduciary, which are companies that are legally required to put the welfare of your money ahead of their interests. Number four, I used those investments in the stock market and the growth I saw with them to then buy a house. And I used that house to create cash flow until it appreciated, at which point we sold it and reinvested the money into a variety of different things because diversification is important. And number five, throughout all of this, I made sure that every single year my salary went up. And as I matured, I got more intentional about negotiating raises, especially when it's switching employers, because research shows this is when you're best positioned to get the highest pay bumps. And I just want to highlight this last point because I think it's worth the emphasis, because in addition to having the right mindset, I think increasing your pay rate is one of the most important things you could possibly do if you want to retire early. And here's why. It is true that investing is absolutely the key, but in order to invest, you have to have the extra money available to actually invest. 
And while I'm all for cutting expenses, there's really only so many costs you can cut. Your pay rate, on the other hand, is essentially uncapped. So while cutting expenses may be easier, getting a raise is much more efficient and effective, assuming you put all that extra money into investments. If you're serious about getting a raise, I just did what was essentially a mini series on how to do that. So be sure to check out episodes five, six, and seven on your podcast app, or go to jessicatoller.com slash 005 slash 006 or slash 007. I'll include the links in the show notes. I want to acknowledge how uncomfortable it was for me to set up this meeting with Melanie and to ask how she was retiring early. Money is such a taboo subject in our culture, which needs to change because the more we talk about it, the more we learn, which is probably my biggest learning of all from this experience. As I say often, this conversation changed my life forever. And had I not pushed past the fear I felt when I considered asking her advice, I never would have received her valuable input. So ask questions, seek guidance, find mentors, talk about money and do it now. A year from now, you'll be glad you did. And if you're sitting there listening to this and taking an honest look at yourself and your spending habits, and you feel concern over being able to reel in your spending or about getting a raise or a bonus and not having the self-control to put it all in investments, you are absolutely not alone. Most people do not have this discipline. And I know I sure didn't before talking with Melanie, but then I realized this is the reason you don't see most people retiring early. It's an uncomfortable truth, but I'm here to give you some tough love today because the reality is If you want something different than most people, you have to do something different than most people. And again, I used to be exactly in your shoes, but something that really helped me is the concept of FIRE from the book, Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez, which stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. You can read more about this online, but the key key lesson I took away from FIRE is to stop thinking of purchases in terms of dollar amounts and start thinking about them in terms of hours of my life. Think about it. You go to work to get paid, right? Like be honest, if they didn't pay you, would you do work for them? Probably not. So you are trading hours of your life for money. So let's quantify that. As an example, let's use the average salary in Austin in 2022, which is $67,000. Assuming you work 40 hours a week and you get two weeks off a year, that means you're getting paid $33.50 an hour. So instead of browsing Amazon and mindlessly adding items to your cart, tapping three buttons and thinking, oh, this shirt is only $30, try thinking to yourself, do I want this shirt bad enough to work an hour at my job for it? This becomes even more effective at a higher scale. So think about a car payment. The average car payment in the U.S. in 2022 is over $700 a month. At that $67,000 average salary range, that means every single month you're trading 21 hours of your life, so nearly three full days of work per month to own that car. The average car loan for a new car is nearly six years long, so when all is said and done, you'll have spent nearly 189 days at work paying for this car. That is over six months of your life at your job solely paying for this car, nothing else. If I were to tell you that for the next six months you had to go to work, but you wouldn't be receiving a paycheck because I'd be paying your car lender directly, would you agree to that? Is that new car worth that to you? 
And look, I realize many of us need cars. I'm not saying don't buy a car. I've had a car since I turned 16, but I've never had a brand new car and I don't ever plan to because it is not worth trading that many hours of my life for, in my opinion. I would rather invest that money and have it grow so I can have even more freedom than I already do. And if you're sitting there listening to this and thinking, oh crap, like I just bought a new car or I have a new car that I'm paying off, you can go sell that car. We had a client not long ago who did exactly that. He had, what was it? It was a fancy BMW, I believe. And he was making car payments on it. And we talked to him about this and he went, he sold it. And he has now a Toyota Tacoma that's entirely paid off and he no longer has that car payment. So you have options. You can go get a quick quote on your car at CarMax and you can take that quote to other people. A lot of different car dealerships will take quotes from one and they'll give you even more money if you bring it to them within like three days of receiving it. So never feel like you don't have options. You can go sell your new car back. You can buy a used car for cheaper or hopefully one that you can pay off. But what I'm trying to say is this, when considering every expense, especially the big ones, start thinking of those things in terms of how many hours of your life it's going to cost you and then decide if it's worth it. Whether you're in your thirties and want to retire by age 40, or if you're older than that, and your goal is to just retire before the norm with the right mindset, discipline, and regular pay increases, it is absolutely available to you. I have tons of resources for you in the show notes, including the link to my blog post on the specifics of how I quit trading time for money, links to the podcast mini series episodes five through seven on how to successfully land a pay raise. And my personal favorite, the free printable guide I put together that walks you through setting your target pay plus two other key decisions you'll need to make to be ready to ask for your pay raise. That one's called the ultimate make more money starter kit. And you can find it and all the other resources in the show notes at jessicatolar.com slash zero zero eight. I hope you found today's episode so valuable. And if you did, please be sure to share it with a friend who might also benefit from this. Let's continue rising each other up and sharing as much financial knowledge as possible, because like I said, you don't know what you don't know. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I'll see you right here next Wednesday. And until then, work less, live more, and keep on chasing your wildest dreams. Congratulations on finishing another episode of the Goodbye July podcast. If you want more, head over to jessicatoller.com slash podcast for show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode. Don't forget to rate the show, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share it with a friend. I believe in a world where we're all financially free, so let's help each other get there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Goodbye July podcast.